Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 42, if you would. The book of Genesis in chapter 42. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph in Egypt. And this is a message that God put in my heart more than a month ago. I, I would preach on this all the time if the Lord would let me, but it's been some time since I've uh, been able to uh, just have freedom of the Lord to, to preach some aspect. In uh, Genesis chapter 30, Joseph is born. And uh, so he's alive, you know, for the last nearly half of Genesis. But we don't really get introduced to him as a person until chapter 37. And he's 17 years old, and he's in those teen years and interacting with his brothers. And we kind of see how quickly that deteriorates, the relationship there, and reveals some things about their hearts, some things that we want to look at today. So from chapter 37, when Joseph is 17 now, we have really a, a, quite a little bit of information about his life. Uh, from 17 until chapter 50, the end of Genesis, when he dies at the age of 110. And uh, we know quite a bit about his life and what he went through, and the Lord wants us to know. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us, isn't it? And so we're going to take a look at just, I mean, the time would fail us to really dig deep. So we're going to look at just one particular aspect. Really, we'll cover about a year of Joseph's life here around this chapter 42 time period. And we're going to be looking and talking today about a famine, about a famine, a grievous famine. I don't know that a more dire famine ever hit the earth than seven continuous years of famine. And we won't talk about all seven of them, but just about, just about that first year or two, the first uh, couple years of the famine is, is what we're going to focus on. One in particular, I've called this message, Death by Famine. Death by Famine. You know, there were two famines really going on at that time. Not just the famine in the land where I suppose things won't grow and rain won't fall and those two are interconnected, and it's just, you don't have enough food. You ever been in a situation where you didn't have enough food? Not like this we haven't, right? Not like this. We can hardly imagine what it would be like to, to strain to get enough food and to begin to wither away until you just felt like you were going to die. You know, at the end of the famine is death, Right? Is death. Famine is headed, that's a road to death. There's no other way. Do you know there was a spiritual famine going on as well? And that's really the one that God is interested in dealing with. I wonder if God did bring about a seven-year famine just to bring about what he needed to, to bring about life and prosperity in this family and in these brothers in particular. That would be hard to imagine, but I, I suppose that God would put, I don't, millions of people through something that really only about nine, ten, about ten needed. That's how important it is. The famine that's in our lives. You ever been in a famine spiritually? Well, that's really what we're going to look at. And we're going to glean from this what these brothers, what it was necessary for God to bring them through. And how, listen to this, how they protected the famine in their lives. Think of it. 
If you were in a, in a physical famine, like I haven't had food for whatever period of time, I mean more than an afternoon, it would have to be you know, longer than that. You know, you really haven't had food for a while and, uh, and all of a sudden there's food. Why look, there's food, we have it. You know, the windows of the uh, uh, Fellowship Hall see open up and there's food. Look at there. And, and you, famished. Ah, no, thank you. And of course, I'm talking near death. Who would refuse the food? You know, history is sieve. I feel bad for you that aren't in that class right now. And this morning, we were literally watching documentaries on the Holocaust. You want to talk about a famine. A famine confined. Now, Germany and Poland, whatever, the people weren't, they didn't have a lot either. But inside those fences, there was a famine. And when they were opened up and liberated, you'd have said a famine struck this place. And more than a famine, I get it. But, you know, those that survived, boy, they, they, they were emaciated. Do you know what happened when food showed up? Imagine this. They ate it. Can you believe that? They ate it. Do you know in our spiritual famine sometimes we don't? Can you imagine that we would literally say, no, no, I'm, I'm good, and protect the famine and refuse the food? That doesn't make sense. I've done that. I know I have. That's not very wise. Let's not do that. When the food shows up, let's get it. But the famine that's in these, these uh, young men, for a while they're going to protect this spiritual famine. They don't mind having food, but they really don't want the life that comes from spiritually getting right and what it takes. You know, President Garfield, bless his heart, and I don't know how great a theologian he was, but he did say this. He said, uh, truth will set you free, but it'll make you miserable first. He might have been right. It will make you miserable until you really take hold of it and make it part of you. Like, I really want this. This is the life that I'm going to live. All right. Well, enough on the introduction. I've got more introduction yet. I want to read the last few verses of 41. So I, I took you to 42 just so you'd uh, be here at verse 53 of chapter 41. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh, cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt, and all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. I was reading one commentary that uh, 
that uh, said, you know, I wonder if he was really thoughtful that his brothers would show up from the land of Canaan. I, that's, that's definitely possible. Now understand that Joseph is now at this point right here at the end of chapter 41, he is 37 years old. That we know. He was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh, and now it's seven years of famine, or of plenty rather, and now at the outset of the famine, he's 37. His brothers, who were all born, he and they, within, other than Benjamin, within a six-year period, Reuben being the oldest is just six years older than Joseph, so don't think that their ages are scattered all over. Uh, so if he's 37 and Reuben is uh, 43, and all the rest of these First 11 brothers are in that right here, 43 to 37, at the beginning of the, uh, of the famine. Benjamin's several years younger. Now I want to set just the tone of what is happening here before we really get into our major points and talk a little bit more about this famine and the need for it. This is, the, this is the critical thing. Now we think, okay, that's good. They just need to get down to Egypt and they need to live there and there'll be food and they'll live happily ever after. That's true. But I want you to think of it the way it, the way it is right now. Joseph has been in, in Egypt now for how many years? Twenty. Seventeen to thirty-seven. That wasn't that hard. It's going to get more difficult. Okay, so he's been in Egypt now for 20, it's been 20 years since they mistreated him. Said what they said. Did what they did. Sold him into slavery. It's been 20 years. It's been a long time. I wonder if they've forgotten about him. I don't know. I wonder how they're doing. Are they fundamental Baptists now, these boys? Well, uh, uh, even a cursory reading of chapter 38 in Judah's life would help us to understand that there's probably some real struggles in their life. They probably haven't broken through. In other words, there's probably a famine in their lives. Now get this. These 12 boys are pretty, pretty uh, significant. These are going to become the nation of Israel, right? Without them, there is no Israel. <laughs> when you think of it that way, you know, as we watched the liberation of those camps, Dhaka, Buchenwald. Those are the descendants of these boys. All of them. The nation of Israel today. What we heard about from Brother Wilson. Every Jew that you meet, though he may not be aware of which tribe, he is from one of these young men. And we've got a problem. Because the way they stand right now, there is no nation. There's a famine. Spiritually, there's a problem. Now, Joseph is the only one in Egypt. He's the only one in safety. Boy, he's not only safe, he's in charge of safety. And so how many tribes are in Egypt at this point? Okay, I heard it right. You didn't get tricked by it. two of them. Ephraim and Manasseh are already in Egypt. They're already safe. But the other tri tribes, 10 tribes plus the Levitical line is up in Canaan, and they're in trouble. 
physically and spiritually. Now, Benjamin spiritually might be okay. We don't know. He never really says anything. But that's where we're at. So, what significant Bible character is going to be okay? Joshua, who's from the tribe of Ephraim. You knew that. Joshua is okay. His tribe is in Egypt. They're not in the fit. They're fine. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the walls of Jericho can come down. The, everything, you know, the, the, the conquests uh, that take place through the book of Joshua are fine. Joshua is safe. But Joshua can't get out of the land of Egypt without Moses. Where's Moses? Moses from the tribe of Levi. He's up in Canaan. And by the way, so is King David and Solomon. And Jesus from the tribe of Judah. We have, Pastor spoke just a minute ago about generational impact. We got a generational problem. If these, if these men don't come together and develop and, uh, and seek God, we, I, we don't have a nation. It's the, it's the oddest thing. I don't know, but that's, you just got to look beyond just the, okay, they got to go get some food. We've got a huge problem. And so that's where this opens up here in chapter 42. Verse 1, now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Now those are prophetic words. Live and not die. Because the famine that's in them, both the famine of the, of the land and the, the crops, but the spiritual famine, it's life or death. They're either going to get right, change their ways, or there will be death, not life. And of course, we know that Joseph is the key. That Joseph himself knew this. Look at uh, chapter 45 real quick. And notice what Joseph says later after he revealed himself to his brothers. Verse 5, now therefore, be not grieved nor angry. 45.5 we're in. Be not grieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there be five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth. There's the nation of Israel. That's what's at stake. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, dad, who is, by the way, at the opening of chapter 42 here that we just read, dad who said, why look you one upon another? Why can't you guys figure it out? There's Grain in Egypt, get down there. There's life, death here, life down there, go. Of course, little did he know that it was more than just the corn bringing life that they could get in Egypt. They could really be spiritually delivered. 
Dad is now 129, by the way. If you're taking notes and you're making notes, Dad, right there in chapter 42, verse 1, Dad, Jacob, is 129 years old. And he's the one that's having to guide these men who are in their late 30s, early 40s. It's now probably a year into the famine when they've run short on their own supplies in Canaan and needed now to go to Egypt, which means Joseph is now how old? 38. You with me? Have I lost you? Math, not one of the subjects that you were good at there. 38. And the brothers, 38 now to 44. That's where they're at. And dad's 129. And he says, you get down there and uh, get things taken care of. Buy some grain. Verse 3, chapter 42. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. Now this, this is the, what we're going to deal with now in this, uh, the time that we have about how the famine in their lives is taken care of, even as they try to preserve it. Verse 4, But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan, and Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. How long has it been? 21. 21 years. 21 years. And he recognizes them. And he probably counts them one, two, three, four. And there's one missing, isn't there? Right. So ten are here, ten are bowing. He recognizes them, but, verse 7, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Your spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Is that true? Is it, is it true, what they're saying? Is that true? One is not? They're talking to him. I, I don't think that's true. Do you understand? I don't think that's true. One is not. They're telling him. They're telling him. Look, you, are you listening? One is not. And he could look at them and say, oh, wow, if you only knew. One is. Now, by the way, I mean, I know we think this is odd, but listen. Nobody doubts that Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Favored son of a, of a wealthy father here. He was uh, sent to check on his brethren one day in the land of, 
Palestine there to Dothan. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And said they mistreated him. And then sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And now, after all that hardship, now he's enthroned. Is that true? Is he enthroned? You know those dreams that he just remembered? About the sheaf and then the sun, moon, and stars bowing to him. And his brother said, really? Will you reign over us? It's happening. Joseph is enthroned. Is Jesus enthroned today? Do you know that in our famine, we would never say it, but it's almost like one is not. And is that really ever true? Is it ever true? We can say, oh, I don't know where God is. He's not answering my prayers. He's not helping me out. I, maybe we don't even say it. Maybe it just becomes part of you know, our down day. Where is God? It's all over your face. Where is God? He's missing. One is not. I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. And as they talk to this man, I don't know, they're, I don't know, 30 feet away or 20. And they look him in the eye and they say, one is not. I tell you that one is. All right, let's keep going here. 14, and Joseph said unto them, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, ye are spies. Hereby you shall be proved. And he came up with a plan. Now, this is, uh, this is really interesting. The first point that we're going to look at is this. As they seek to preserve the famine, the spiritual famine in their lives, the first thing that they do is this. They hold on. They hold others to a standard that they don't hold themselves to. You ever done that? Holding others to a standard that we don't hold ourselves to. Okay, well, let's, let's see what this is. He, uh, he says to them, uh, send one of you, verse 16, and let him fetch your brother if you have one. He's, he's uh, doubtful to them that that's true because he still believes they're spies. And you shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. That's into the jail. Verse 18. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live. There's that idea of life again. For I fear God. He reveals that he also is a believer of Jehovah. Just so they would understand, I think, that the test that they're about to take and be about is not based on the whim of some Egyptian ruler. There is some justice involved here. If you do right, then right will happen. And so he lets them know. You know, I, I'm not just at the whim of these gods that are down here in Egypt. Verse 19, if ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of, uh, for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified. And ye shall not die and they did so. And they said one to another. Now they haven't left yet. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. 
Now, the first thing that we're going to see, though, in the idea that he spake roughly unto them in verse 7 and accused them of spies, that they are holding others to a standard that they don't hold themselves to. When they, we'll skip over some verses and we'll come back to it, but when they returned to their father, look at verse 29, they came unto Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all that befell unto them, saying, now look, Verse 30, the man who is the Lord of the land, what did he do? He spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. Now, that's grievous to them. That's hard for them. Do you suppose they've ever spoken roughly? Does not the Bible say here in Genesis 37, verse 4, that even in their teen and early 20 years, they could not speak peaceably unto Joseph? Isn't it coming around now? Isn't it coming back on them? As they go to dad and they say, dad, you're not going to believe this. This guy down there is grumpy. I mean, he is, he's grumpy. His cornflakes got soggy. <laughs> and, uh, and they're not willing to see what God would have them see in their own lives. Listen, we pres- students, we preserve the famine in our lives when we hold others to maybe a correct standard. The guy was grumpy, wasn't it? It says he was. They're not lying. They're telling the truth. They're just not telling the truth about themselves yet. The guy was mean. He meant to be mean. Now, is he really mean? Is he really mean? No. He's about the nicest guy. Frankly, it tells us that he turned aside and wept. And several times through the story, he would have to leave the room and weep. He's not a mean guy. But he is, at this point, attempting to show them things about their own life that they're not willing to see. So they're accusing him of, first of all, speaking roughly. Second of all, of not telling the truth. He doesn't tell the truth. Are they spies? Come on, are they spies? Does Joseph know they're not spies? Well, then why is he telling them they're spies? He doesn't tell the truth. Now, they don't know that he's not telling. Whatever. If he doesn't tell the truth, they're not spies. Dad, that guy is grumpy and he doesn't tell the truth. Do they tell the truth? Do you know they're sitting on a 21-year-old lie? One is not. Who they lie to? Dad. You know, well, according to the scripture, they didn't really come out and say, but what did they do? They killed a lamb and put his blood on the coat, ripped it up and sent it to dad. That was a lie. 21 years now, they've lived a lie to dad. And they're pointing at somebody else who lies. Hence, the famine will remain in their lives holding others to a standard that they don't hold themselves to. It is interesting, as you look at verse 9, I kind of enjoy this. Notice that uh, Joseph in verse 9 says you're spies. In verse 10, they, 10 and 11, they say we're not. In verse 12, he says you are. In verse 13, they say we're not. In verse 14, he says you are, and then they stop arguing. <laughs> so it's yes, no, yes, no, yes, and he wins. 
you ever play that with your siblings? I touch you last, I touch you last, I touch you. <laughs> and that seems like what's happening here. Uh, they decided they better stop arguing with him. You are spies. But they're not. But it does bring us to point number two. Shielding authorities from the issue that needs correction in our lives. Shielding authorities from the correction that is needed. Shielding. And it's part of hanging on to the famine in their life. Look at verse 11. Their claim to Joseph is, we are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. Okay, let's take a look at those three phrases. Verse 11 is a key verse. We are all one, one man's sons. Is that true? True or false? True. We are true men. True or false? False. They're not true. There's error. And he knows it. Does Joseph know it? Look at the last phrase. Thy servants are no spies. True or false? True. Here we have true, false, true. We've got truth all the way around this. And so they feel pretty good about themselves. But there's error in here. Can you imagine a person who would go to a medical doctor with a problem, maybe fearful that the worst thing that could, I could be told, I, let's say, I have cancer. I've got these pains, and yes, the symptoms, it could be, but I'll hope not. Go to the doctor, and the doctor's poking and prodding and looking, and I don't know, whatever. Whatever doctors do, he's doing it. And he's asking questions, that's what they do too. Uh, where does it hurt? How about this? Does this hurt? Uh, he's got your arm ripped up behind your back, does that hurt? And uh, asking all questions, but because you don't want the bad news that it might be cancer, no, that doesn't hurt. No, I, well, do you ever have this symptom? Do you ever, you know, like in the early in the mornings, is it this, late at night? No. Really? No. Because you don't want to hear the bad news. Imagine taking your vehicle to a mechanic. He says, well, where's the noise? I, I don't know. It's in the back, and you tell him it's in the front. Because you, you don't want a, the big bill. So you say, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's fine. It's fine. You don't want to hear like it's a transmission. Bearings are gone at your wheels. It could be hundreds of dollars. You wouldn't do that. You'd be forthright. We've got to get this problem fixed. Whether it's health or your vehicle, you would be honest with the one who's attempting to help you fix it. You'd be honest. Joseph knows, look, he knows that they are not spies. He knows that. So why is he accusing them of being spies? Well, it does say that he remembered their dream, the dreams, verse 9. Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, ye are spies. Whatever it is, it has to do with, that, with the dreams. And in the dreams, there was 11. 
Well, he knew that. Yeah, okay, so what? So there's only 10. There's only 10 bowing. We're missing one. How do we get the one from Canaan down here? You guys are spies. Do you know what likelihood it would be that there would be spies coming into the land of Egypt to look things over and to plunder Egypt at this point? Pretty high. It is pretty high. Joseph is on high alert to look for, you know, the, the, the first of an army coming down to get information and intelligence on, on where the wealth of the world is right now, which is grain. So he accuses them of being spies. And in the end of it, he, I don't know, he must have known. And of course, he's being directed by God in this. He must have known that they would claim to be brothers. Because if they were brothers, then they're not spies. It makes sense. A family needs food. So we've got to get the other brother down here. But they come to this, this point of verse 13. One is not. Do you know everything hinges on, on that one? Everything. Everything hinges. And that's the place where they don't want to go. And it's the place where they must go. Because that's where the place where the train left the tracks. That one. Shielding authorities from the issue that needs correction in your life. And so far, the authority is making accusations, though not hitting the nail on the head. But they know the nail that needs to be hit. And they could easily guide and help and, and, and give it up, which we're going to see in subsequent points here that they're not willing to do. They don't want to dump the truck. Years ago, I had a young man in my office, and uh, frankly, this was the third time that I'd had this particular young man in my office for the same thing. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but like it needed to stop. It already had discussions, given a few demerits. And here this young man sat, kind of stonewalling. I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand what it is. I, I said, I don't understand why you keep doing this, this thing. And uh, he sat there and really just very tense. And finally he broke. And it shocked me. Tears began to flow. And he said this. I guess that this thing is not the real issue. And he began to tell me what was, and it was a much bigger thing. I would never have known. I would have kept missing the, the nail with the hammer. I mean, we were hitting a little thing here, sure, but it wasn't the problem. And you know what he said? Here. Let me help you. Do you know that young man is married and in significant ministry today? And I think that day was the turning point. When he stopped trying to shield and keep and hold. And he said, let me help you. Let me help you find that problem with my car. Let me, doctor, let me, let me help you find what might be wrong with me so we can get it taken care of. Let me help. Your authorities may not be hitting it just right, right dead on. But the Lord knows. And he may certainly have shown you. And you may need to help him. 
And if you don't, what are they, just an executioner? That's what it's going to feel like. They're out to get me. Unless you become a participant, like you would in the doctor's office. Doc, I'm going to help you. You and me together, let's find the problem. Why don't you do that with your authorities? It would be helpful. They're not there yet. And we're going to see it in point number three, only going partway with God. It's verse 21. They said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Well, that's true. It's amazing after 21 years, they still remember. And nobody had to tell them. It wasn't like they heard a message down in Egypt in the Baptist church down there in Cairo. No. Like they've known about this, haven't they? They've been thinking about it for 21 years. They've been thinking about it. They've been guarding it, protecting it. We're guilty in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. They remembered. And we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress, that's the same Hebrew word as anguish. We put him through anguish and now we're going through anguish. But where's the repentance? They're going part way. Really, they feel really good about feeling really bad. I call it the Eeyore syndrome. They're only going part way. It's just a bummer. I'm, I, I, how am I going to get out of this mess? I've, we've created a mess. This doesn't make for a very joyful BCM student. Walking into walls, I don't know. It's just no joy. There's no joy in this. Going part way. The Eeyore syndrome. Do you know the guy who uh, was the original voice of Eeyore, Ralph Wright, literally came up with the idea of having a, uh, a hero that would have a failed attempt at achieving his goals. So from this same guy who created Eeyore, we get Wile E. Coyote. <laughs> and Sylvester? You don't remember that one. Sylvester was always after... Yeah, never could get the bird. And Elmer Fudd. <laughs> that thank you, Ralph Wright. Eeyore doesn't get his tail right. Nobody gets it right. We only go part way and we never get that desired goal. What is it? Joy. Peace. I'm right with God. We're going to go halfway. We're going to know that we didn't do it right. We didn't think right. Okay, I probably should have done it better, but we don't dump the truck. It's not all out there. Look at this. Verse 23, and they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. He listened to the whole thing. You know what? God knows. When we go halfway, he knows. You might fool whoever's inquiring you know, your folks or somebody here. Really? Is that all of it? Yeah, oh yeah, that's all of it. That's whatever. I should have done this a little different. Okay. You're not helping. You're only willing to go halfway. You're preserving the famine. And maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know. Okay, well, sounds good. But God knows. God knows. Joseph knew. He knew. Number four, look at verse 22. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child? 
and you would not hear, therefore behold, all his blood is required. What's the matter with you people? Number four, blaming others. Preserving that famine in our lives is eventually going to lead to, I don't, I'm not the, it's not me. It's not me. It's not, look at these people. And now Reuben, of all people, what is the matter with you? You did this. I told you. Do you remember? 21 years ago, I told you. Well, yeah, what did he say? This is what he said. He said, don't kill them. Throw them in a pit. That was his idea. Oh, that's good. Doesn't come out here, though. Do you remember the pit was my idea? He doesn't, oh, that's how that's got left out of the story. And then he was going to come back later and deliver him secretly. So publicly, he was a bad testimony. He's the oldest. He's, a, he's not a good leader. He's not leading by faith. He's not standing up and saying, brothers, what are you doing? We need to do right here. What is the matter with us? We need to get right with God. Don't touch the boy. Let him go home. We got, we got to do business with God here. That should have been Reuben. But instead, unstable as water. Plays like he's one of them. Oh, no, no. If we kill him, then you know what? We're going to go to jail. Let's throw him in a pit and he'll let him die on his own like he fell into it. And he's going to privately be righteous? What kind of leadership is that? That's Reuben. And now... He, of all people, not having dumped the truck, preserving the famine, is blaming others. Number five. <clears throat> Look at verse 28. On their way home, they open their sacks, and money is found in their sacks, part way home. And he said unto his brethren, just the, the, we don't know which brother, but the brother that took his sack down and opened it. My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack, and their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Now they're blaming God. Now they're blaming God. Really, God? How much of this is really true? God loves them. God sent Joseph to go through misery to preserve their lives. Well, they've been living it up in Canaan and doing whatever they wanted to do. Joseph's been going. We know what he's been going through. And uh, life is there for them if they will just but get honest. Now notice when they go home, they tell the story to their father of all that's going on. We covered part of that. And uh, said, you know what? We've got to take Benjamin with us. And dad says, oh, no, that's not happening. You're not taking Benjamin. No, Joseph is gone. He's dead. And if Benjamin's gone, then something will happen to him, and then I'll die. I can't do this. Verse 37. Reuben, here comes Reuben again, spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. Number six, sacrificing others in our place. It is hard to imagine that Reuben is at a spot where he would say, Hey, Dad, I got two boys. Kill them. What's grandpa supposed to say? Oh, yeah, that'll work. Wish I'd have thought of it. That's Reuben. What a great idea. So Joseph is dead, and then Benjamin's dead, and now we can kill two more. Well, just, that's so exciting. Reuben, where's his thinking? You know, where's ours? Preserving the famine in our life, 
not making any sense, blamed others, blamed God, and now we're just going to sacrifice, bull over others. Doesn't matter what happens in their lives, these two little boys. Like, what did they do to bring all of this on? Nothing. And then look at uh, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Is that true? Are all of these things against him? Well, question, who's dead? Who is dead? Nobody. Is Joseph okay? Yeah, Joseph's okay. Joseph's ready to deliver. Everything is fine. You know what? He's going to find out. Everything is for him. Everything is for him. You know, whatever you're going through, whatever seems so bad, do you realize that I think there's a verse about this? I think it is. I think, is there a verse? I think it's going to work out. I think, it's, I think God has it all planned together. It's, going to, it's in your favor. And yet we walk around, again, walking into walls. It's, it's all against me. It's not working out. It's terrible. It's not terrible. Tell the truth. It's glorious. Now, you might have to dump the truck. You might have to have people around you find the real issue. You might have to walk in and sit down with somebody and say, I want to work with you. we got to find out the problem. Doc? Mechanic? Mom? Somebody? I'm ready. The famine's got to go. I've made it look really good, but it's got to go. It's time. Let's work together. And you know what? That's what ended up happening in this story. And you probably know the story. Chapter 43. Oh, chapter, uh, verse, uh, here it is. Point number seven, leading others to unbelief. Leading others to unbelief. Because everything that they came back and told their father brought about unbelief in his own heart. All these things are against me. Well, yeah, it was all the reports of Unbelief that they were feeding him. Woe is me as you walk in your dorm room. Oh, it's terrible. This teacher said that. Oh, it's all this. Too much expectation. Oh, it's terrible. It's unbelief. All these things are against me. Now you're, everybody in your dorm room just sings a song. Everybody's against me. Everything's against me. Make up a song. It's good. Look at chapter 43 and verse 8, and we'll conclude. Notice here's the change of heart. As it's, their food finally has run out, and Dad says, you've got to get back down to Egypt. Uh, Judah steps forward. Judah, the one who said, what profit is it if we slay him? Let's sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Kind of the Judah syndrome? Judah. Judas syndrome is now Judah. Judah steps forward, having completed chapter 38, which is pretty bad. But he repents at the end of it. And now here he is, verse 8. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. Watch this now. And we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. Which tells us he's already completed chapter 38, verse 9. I will be surety for him. Who will be? Do you know that Reuben, the oldest brother, said, my sons will be surety. Judah said, I will be. Me, Dad. It's me. 
It's been me, and it's me. You send Benjamin with, with us, Dad, and me. My life for his. Of my hand shalt thou require him if I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. In chapter 44, that's exactly what happens. Benjamin is accused of taking the cup. Joseph is requiring that he stay in Egypt and the rest of you can go. And Judah steps forward and says, I can't go. I promised. It's me. Take my life for his and let Benjamin go. You know, that's a little different than they had treated Joseph many years before. They get another shot at this. Not with Joseph's life. They can't do it with him. He's enthroned. Benjamin now becomes Joseph, the one who can be mistreated, the one who can be ignored, the one who could be left in Egypt to die. And Judah says, not again. I'm not doing this again. No more famine in my life. It's me. Let's bow our heads. Even as we close, I just want to take a minute. Maybe in one of these points, you've recognized a need, something that is still bringing about a famine. And maybe you've lived with it, but you don't want to anymore. One of these finer points, blaming others, not going the full way with God. Is it possible that one of these things is still keeping you from that relationship with Jesus? Who would say here this morning, I recognize something that I need to take care of. Something very specific the Lord's put in my heart, and uh, I'm going to ensure that that gets done today. How many of you would say that by the uplifted hand? I know that that's for me. Yes, I see those hands. Several of them. You can put those down. Let's stand together. Just before we pray, I'm going to have the piano play. And if you need to make a move, whatever God's put on your heart, to just drive the stake in the ground and say, this is going to get taken care of. I don't, I don't want to be these men any longer. I don't want to hold on to the famine. Then as the piano plays, you do what, you, what God wants you to do.